You're listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast, where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability, Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I am your host, Eric Rosenberg. And today we have a special guest, someone who I've hung out with at a couple conferences, actually just like our, our most recent guests I've hung out with at both FinCon and Podcast Movement. And this guest has done some very, very cool stuff lately um, and started what I believe is the first of its kind, a gym for your finances, a financial gym in New York. But we'll get into that in a minute. Everyone, please give a warm welcome to Shannon, who is um, who is here with us today. How's it going, Shannon? It is going awesome, Eric. It's so funny you bring up how we used to hang out or we've hung out at conferences. And it reminds me of how you are way cooler than I am because <laughs> of your DJ background and your music choice. And I was like, I just feel like an old fuddy-duddy. And <laughs> well, I think I'm older than you, but not that much older than you. <laughs> it was actually just my birthday recently. I turned 32 with the big three. Two, okay. So. Yeah. See, I'm ancient. I'm going to be 39 next month. So... You're, you're, you're practically dusty. I am. I really am. You know, I don't think of myself as that. I always feel like I'm young at heart. But like, I, you know, at the financial gym here, we help clients of all ages, shapes and sizes, but predominantly millennials and Gen Xers. And it's like really bad when I make references to like, to like movies or things like that. And they have no idea, my clients. And I was like, I don't feel like I'm that much older than you, but it makes me feel like the crazy old aunt or something like that. <laughs> well, I, I used to work at a uh, at a summer camp and there was a point in time, most of the time I was with the older Boy Scouts, but I did spend a little time with the Cub Scouts. And I remember one time I was talking with one of the other counselors and we were talking about Metallica, who was like yeah. still, a th- I mean, they're still a thing now, but they were still they a still thing. They still are. Then. They were just on Tonight And this kid the was like, who's show? Metallica? I was like, well, no. I guess you're seven. So you might not yeah. know Metallica. Yeah, I think that was more of an aging. <laughs> I had a <laughs> I had a, a client recently where we were talking about her money and I was like I was like who's your kind of buddy, accountability buddy to help you kind of keep you in check? Like who's your goose? Like your wingman, you know, who's going to help you? And she was like, "What do you mean goose?" And I was like, "Oh, like um, Maverick? I was like, goose, yeah, like Come Goose on. and Maverick, like Top Gun, right?" And and she was like, "I've never seen Top Gun," and I was like, "That's so unfortunate for oh, so many reasons." Totally. But they're like, making a remake, I heard. So the young people course, will get they're remaking a remake. Everything, right? Yeah. Well, Hollywood's <laughs> clearly originals. out of ideas. Clearly, I remember all the cheesy originals. So speaking of ideas, (laughs) you've done some like cool, fun, and original stuff. You've had a blog. You've started some businesses. I've been lucky enough to be present for some live podcast recordings where I got mini uh, martinis to to sip on while while I enjoyed your show. So we do like to drink. I know what's like. I I used to every single episode. I used to say to all my guests, "Bring a beer, and we'll have a beer together while we're recording." Um, I have like, like your, your favorite craft beer, but then I start. I used to always record in the evening, uh, mm-hmm. but now since I since I've gone full time on my online business, I record in the afternoon a lot. I'm like, well, I don't know if I really should be. And I, I usually try to batch all my podcasts to make yeah. be as efficient as possible, so I record them all in the same day. And I don't know if it would be really good for me to be drunk by like three o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon. Although I'm self-employed. I mean, I guess it's okay. All work and no play makes Eric a dull boy is my, (laughs) my feeling. And you know, there, there was a song written about this very thing called day drinking. And I think it's, it's actually one of my all time favorite things to do is, is day drink. And, 
you know, because I, and like you, I used to have a traditional job, you know, I wasn't my own boss. And, um, and it was always like, so, you know, when you had a weekday and you like, I sometimes I take clients out for lunch or something, they were like, Oh, let's have a drink. And it was like, so like taboo, or you're just like, wow, they were being like, we're being so bad. We're having drinks during the day. And but so fun too. And I remember like if I would take a weekday off, I just love to drink during the day. I call them drunches, drinking lunches. And um, I've gotten some of my best client relationships over a drunch. It's just delightful. And I, I, my first job out of college, I was a bank manager and we actually had a corporate rule. You were allowed to have up to two drinks at a business lunch with a client. But then pretty much everywhere else I worked, they were like, if you have a drink, don't come back. Just take a half day of vacation. Um, yeah. Even if you like have just like a tiny little taster sip, just count it as vacation the rest of the day. So yeah, every company's a little different. Everybody. It's nice. Yeah, my the- company we encourage drinking because uh, during the day or any time of the day because we're helping clients with their money. We actually have free beverages here at the gym, whether it's pressed juice or beer and wine. And I tell people all the time, I said I uh, most of our clients actually like to drink during their sessions with their trainer, their financial trainer here at the financial gym because. Money's very stressful for most of us. Even our clients who are doing well are like, I had clients in here um, a few a, a few weeks ago, and they're literally at the top of our leaderboard here at the gym. They are just killing it. They've been working with me for three and a half years now, and they're rock stars. And at the end of their session, they're like, "Are we doing okay? You know, I I mean, are we? Sh- sh- could we be doing better?" And I was like, "You guys are like what people are trying to be here, and you're still asking me for doing okay." And I think it's just really telling and. So yeah, people like to drink here. So we, I highly encourage it for <laughs> my trainers, my clients. Yeah. So well, just loose up. Totally. So let's pretend we've had a drink. So we're loosened up. Let's go back in yeah. time. We're going to Tarantino it. I love Tarantino. Yeah, things. I don't have to pretend though. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we know you have your gym today, but let's go back in time. You had a yeah. full-time day job, traditional job. What mm-hmm. happened with you? Yeah, we are working for the man. I actually used to joke that I am the man because I was the guy who approved mortgages. I'm like, I am the man that you need yeah. to appease. <laughs> so, so you were working for the man, yes. and you started this blog. What? How? What happened? Mm-hmm. How did that get started? Yeah, actually, I couldn't start the blog until I stopped working for the man. So, actually, oh. I was um, I worked in investment banking jobs for about 13 years. I've been it, investment Wall Street bank- in, in the neighborhood. Yeah, literally and on trading floors. And I was with a hedge fund for a while. And I was about, I was 30 in my early 30s. And I said, I needed a financial advisor. And uh, I was about to buy a home, like didn't really know much about investing, even though I worked in investment banking. And I was like, I could really you know, use somebody to get in the weeds with us here. And so I, uh, I was working for Merrill Lynch at the time on the institutional side. And I thought this is going to be really easy for me to find a financial advisor because I'm like surrounded by them all day long. <laughs> and, and while I was thinking about that, I realized in the pursuit of finding my own that 85% of financial advisors are men. And I, I always say there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I love men. Um, and I have a little one. I'm, he's 11. He's not that little anymore. But, but I love it. But I said, what if somebody wanted something different? And there has to be a, a ch- choice. And so I became, I thought if you can't beat them, join them. So I became a financial advisor, hoping to help more women become financial advisors. And um, while I was building that practice at Merrill, I started meeting pro bono. I called them my pro bono clients because they didn't have 250000 in assets, but they wanted financial help. And I didn't look like the old, you know, 50 year old white guy advisor. So they were like, can you help me with my money? <laughs> 
and I couldn't take their money, but, uh, but I, I started helping them. And I said, I had this really defining week uh, in my career, my aha week, uh, where I was helping a couple on a Tuesday. They had over a million dollars with me. They were two doctors. They were making plenty of money, saving plenty of money, investing plenty of money. And they were complaining for a, you know, an hour plus about why their portfolio was down 3%. You know, like what's going on with the markets and our portfolio, our portfolio, our portfolio. And I was just thinking, I felt like I was losing my soul in that meeting. You know, like this is like, these are not real problems, you know, and, and the market will go back up. And so it always does. It always does. What goes down always comes back up and vice versa. So I said, but like, I, I just kind of wasn't really happy with what I was doing at that point. And then two days later, I was meeting with a pro bono client and she, I, I just did a thing. I just did her a plan for her on Word. You know, it was nothing fancy. I just said, do this, this and this. And um, at the end of the meeting, she literally paused, looked me in the eyes and said, you know, you're saving my life, right? And I thought, okay. Yeah, I was like, I just got my soul back. And then it was like this aha, like, this is what I have to do. The Everybody, every financial services company, and they're lying to you if they deny this, but every single one wants to help that couple on Tuesday. Everybody wants people with money. I was just Literally, I, one of my teammates was just at a, um, uh, Sally Krawcheck, who's just started Elevest, which is a robo advisor for women, was just at a, a presentation she gave yesterday. And Sally Krawcheck says, Oh, yeah, we'll do a plan for you at Elevest. We'll do a plan. Um, and none, no part of their planning software accounts for debt. So they want you to come and invest with them and get a plan done with them when you have no debt, including student loan debt. And, I was just like, well, this is okay. Eliminate so, so many people, right? Today, I, I like if you say including student loan debt, even you know, I've, I'm one who I've never had credit card debt. I've never had consumer debt. I've been you know l- lucky to have come from a family that taught me about that, and I've worked hard to avoid it. But even when I finished my MBA, I had forty thousand dollars in debt. Yeah, uh, so like, I mean, it's it's common, right? We yeah. see it all the time here. Sixty percent of the population is graduating with it, and it, and it's a common struggle. So I'm like. Okay, so you really you you say you want to help women, you really want to help wealthy women, right? Or you know, so come to us when you have your stuff together. Everybody wants that client. Nobody wants the people who are building their wealth or trying to figure it out or getting their you know what together. Like the people who are going to a financial advisor because they actually like need financial advice. Right. Exactly. They, they want the and people, people who are already there who are going to be yeah. easy and have a million dollars plus in the bank. Yeah. It's like doctors who want nothing but healthy patients. Like, well, that's just great. Like, but what challenge is there? Right. And, and they're not the people who need it. And so I, you know, I always tell people all the time, if you're paying a financial advisor to help you with your investing, fire them because you're overpaying. Because if that's all they do for you is invest your money, then you're way overpaying because you could do it yourself very easily. You could I really like literally. What do you think of one of my favorite investing quotes ever was Warren Buffett a few years ago in his letter to shareholders. He said uh, his advice to the trustee who will essentially in- invest his money for his wife after he passes away. And of course, he's giving away like 90% or something to, to right. uh, Bill Gates but, charity. But um, mm-hmm. what's left over, he said 90% in a low cost S&P 500 index fund. 10% in a low-cost, short-term government bond fund. They just don't mm-hmm. touch it. Yeah, and call it a day. That's that's not dissimilar advice from what we give to our clients here. And, you know, I always tell you, the investing part's easy. It really is. Some, it, like, the hard part's the, not the, touching it after you invest and not looking oh, at it every day to see it go up and down. 
<laughs> or having it to invest to begin with, right, Eric? I right, mean, the right. hardest part is actually getting the money in the bank account for most people. So, so I said, everybody wants to help these other people. Nobody wants to help the this these my poor pro bono. Is like, who's going to do it? So I said, why not me? So I literally left Merrill Lynch three and a half years ago to start this, and I. I always had the idea for the financial gym or I thought, okay, they need help. Like people need a person. They don't need a website or an app or some people can do it with a website or an app, but not all of us are algorithms and fit into this like fancy model. So I said, you know, where would, and at the time I had just lost 50 pounds on Weight Watchers and working out. And I thought, yeah. And I thought, well, you know, I, I, if, it was easy when I wanted to lose weight, not easy to lose it, but easy because I had so many places I could go to get my money or my body together. But if I wanted to get my money together, somebody wanted to get their money in shape, where would they go? And so that's where I thought about a financial gym. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great idea. Yeah. So So, do you know if there are any other financial gyms out there? Are you kind of a one of a kind? I am one of a kind. There is a there is a financial gym uh, concept out there that I saw when I was trademarking this, which I do have the trademark for the financial gym, and it, it's just like a website or it's like a person. It's not a place. It's just somebody who you know kind of help helps coach you with your money. But but my idea was that you know kind of like H and R Block, but you know if you saw financial gym retail centers across the country. You could walk in and know you could get help and it doesn't matter what you look like. You don't have to worry. Do I have enough money to talk to somebody there or what do I look like? It's like you can just come in. Our trainers are... So our financial advisors are called financial trainers and they're trained to help people no matter what you look like from a financial body type. So when you started... So did you have this idea already when you left Merrill Lynch? Did you already have the blog and you know the... Yeah, no. So going, did it all just start at once? One day you were like, "All right, this is it. I'm pulling the ripcord. Here we go." Well, so I had the idea to do the gym or to help millennials, Gen Xers with their money, and I knew I was going to leave Merrill Lynch. And the blog was funny because I was at Merrill Lynch and I wanted to do a newsletter for women, you know, kind of explaining money top topics in English. And and I was was at Merrill Lynch and I was the only female new advisor in my training group. So it was me and 20 guys and the in my office. And I said, the whole experience made me like uber feminine. So I, I didn't wear suits. I wore dresses to work. I had a pink calculator on my desk, a pink purse, a pink computer <laughs> bag, very colorful f- folders. I just felt like I had to be totally different. And so I remember one time somebody stopping at my cubicle and saying, you know, you're kind of like the Elle Woods of personal finance. Elle Woods from, from Legally Blonde. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I said, yeah, I am. So I thought it'd be fun to do a newsletter and call it Financially Blonde. And I just thought this is this will be great. This will be a newsletter will be called. And I went to my compliance officer at Merrill and he was just like, no freaking way. Like, you can't do that. That's I was too outside of the box. You know, they wanted me to sit They were like, well, we do a newsletter every month just forward that to clients. And I was like, but that's not interesting. And that's like, you know, and I'm sure anyone who's worked for a big, you know, fortune 500 type companies had that experience before where there's something that seems like it should be so easy. And it's such a no brainer. And And there's just just like 85 roadblocks in your way. Anytime you try to do anything. Usually, and you're you're in the mortgage side. You know, it usually starts with compliance, right? Legal and compliance just kill joy at those companies. So, 
I just said, my, well, so my last job, it was like IT security, which I get like, we mm-hmm. like hypothetically, mm-hmm. when I logged into a computer, I had access to like every credit card and debit card number ever used in the United States. So yeah. like we did have some serious security things, just like, you know, Merrill, you're dealing with people's money. Uh, but, yeah. You know, like little things like I want to like say something to help people or I want to automate a process. That was that was my roadblock. I was IT people saying you can't do this. I'm like, oh, I've done this at my last job. <laughs> like, yeah. I can do this. We have the power. Yeah. It's like, no, <laughs> there were so many no's and roadblocks. That's where I was like, I've got to leave here. Um, but but I, I, I thought as soon as I leave, so I couldn't even do the newsletter. So I knew I couldn't do a blog. And I thought, well, as soon as I leave, I am gonna, I'm going to build this business. I'm also going to start a blog and I'm going to call it Financially Blonde. And so that is how my blog, Financially Blonde, started. And so I started blogging and building my business. And it's interesting because it was slow going initially building my business. It was just me and I was just doing it via word of mouth. I really didn't have a huge marketing budget. It was just me saying, Hey, I'll help you with your money. And I didn't put the financial gym concept out there because I didn't know if people would even pay me to help them with their money. So like when I left Merrill Lynch, it's funny, people said, good luck starting a business without the Merrill brand behind you. And um, <laughs> meanwhile, I think 100% of my clients will say, we're with you because you're not Merrill Lynch. So well, there's a um, lot of people out there, I think, who get totally turned off by the you know, the Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, yeah. you know, that that whole group has been, for, for better or worse, they've been vilified over the last yeah. decade. And, you and know, well a lot earned. of it they a lot of it they earned for sure. Well um, earned. Let me tell you what, I was there. I was there and I could tell you a lot of mortgage back securities well. getting uh, cranked out the doors. Oh, yeah. I remember one time I used to ask, you know, the biggest thing that financial advisors will say is like, that they have this secret sauce, the secret formula, their investment portfolio for you. And and everybody thinks they have this special sauce, you know. And I remember when I was having to build my own special sauce, because that's the key to, you know, once you get clients' money, you have to invest it. And I remember going around asking different advisors, you know, like what they did, you know, what was their special sauce. And so many of them like wouldn't even talk to you about it. It was like they had the secret to the universe. Meanwhile, you know, it was nothing creative. They just they held on to it. And I was thinking, if you have this great sauce, why wouldn't you share it with other people? And um, but there's a lot of paranoia. But but other than but I remember my mentor, though, I, I he did show me his secret sauce because I uh, because he was my mentor. And we kind of talked a lot about it. And I remember one time talking to him about his portfolio. And he was invested in none of what he was selling all of his clients. And I remember thinking like, seems so backwards. Right? Like, why, why would you, why wouldn't you invest exactly how your clients are invested? Like, why would you suggest something to them and not do it yourself? And And that's why I'm always, when I talk about, you know, the Warren Buffett recipe and all that stuff, I've Mm -hmm. posted my portfolio and I save people. I I do have a, I don't know, I'd say 10 to $20,000 in in individual stocks. And I tell you, that's like my quote, play money. That's a huge risk. Mm -hmm. Most people shouldn't do that. But if you look mm-hmm. at my retirement funds, I have an IRA and a, a rollover IRA from my old 401ks and a Roth IRA. And it's pretty mm-hmm. much all Vanguard and Schwab index funds that are super cheap. Yeah. Because I yeah. got Schwab and thanks to stuff with my family, I got a uh, from my dad, actually, from his old retirement accounts, he got a, a deal with free Vanguard trade. So I got that too, which was pretty cool. 
So that's all that I have really is Vanguard and Schwab yeah. index funds. And that's and all you need. Funds. Can I tell you what? 90, Eric, 90% and, and they have this information. They, they investment advisors, 90% of your investment returns are based on your asset allocation. Only 10% are based on what specific assets you use. Do you use ETFs? Do you use mutual funds? Do you use individual stocks? So 90% of what drives your investment returns is, do you have the right mix of stocks and bonds? And are you rebalancing them? Which is exactly what Warren Buffett was talking about for his wife. He was talking about a 90-10 portfolio and, and you know letting it go or rebalancing. And that's, that's the key. And having both stocks and bonds because... You know, in the in the two thousands, from two thousand at whatever two thousand ten, people said, "Oh, the stock market was flat." If you start if you started investing in two thousand and it went through two thousand and ten, and I said, "Well, if you were invested in bonds, so the bond market was up fifteen percent." So that's the argument for why you should allocate your assets. But ninety percent is that. So you know, and you could do put it in a, in a fund in a in a mixed fund ETF or whatever, and and call it a day and. This, that, this is my thing, though, is like with the investment advisors, the investing part's so easy. And, it, and it's... And the worst and the sad part is when people don't do anything. That's the we, scary yeah, part. Yeah. Well, they don't do anything because they're, they're scared to go to the, the guys or gals who, you know, claim to be helpful, or they feel like they don't really have a good grasp of, of the markets. And, and it's just some basic education. We, we talk about here that our clients are goals is to first get their behaviors right so that the money's going to the account to be saved, to be invested. But every one of them graduates, I'm doing air quotes, they all graduate to investing. That's where we want them to go because we work hard for our money and we want it to, we, first of all, we have to work hard to not spend it, to keep it in, you know, keep it and preserve it. But the next thing is we want our money to work hard for us in return. And the only way your money's going to work hard is if it's invested. And Yes, the markets are going to go up and down. Yes, there's risks and all that sort of stuff. But like over time, you're going to be better off having been in it. So that's where our clients go. And it's, it's so, it's a joy for us when they get to that point. They're excited to do it. And, but, but people have a lot of fear and paranoia about it. You know, if you've never done it before, there is a lot of lingo and jargon out there that gets confusing. And, you know, it's interesting. I did a, I did, um, I do a class here a lot at the gym called Investing 101. And I've asked people like what I know what Investing 101 should be in the topics. But I said, what should Investing 201 be? Like, what do you think is the next? In my mind, I'm like, is it is it sector investing? Is it taxes? Like, what's 201? And I've heard more than a few times that 201 should be how to open accounts. Like, that's a common problem for people. Like, even if they think about going to account, like, where do you go? What do you select? What do you like? What how do you answer account? certain questions? Yeah. What kind of account do you want? What There's does it like mean to be joint tenants? There is, yeah. there is. And like an IRA, do we want a Roth IRA or a regular IRA? And, and what's the difference? And why should I pick one over the other? That is like, that's seriously a huge issue. And with a lot of our clients, something one of in their training sessions here, because that's, or we do it, we can do work virtually. We literally walk them through opening an account, you know, and that's like part of the process. And there, and I can't tell you how many times they've said, I never would have gotten this open without you. Like, you know, how to set up, how to connect your investment account to your bank account to make sure you could do the auto payments and, and, you know, finding the funds you want to get. And it's just, it's the, but uh, there's so they many reasons why people don't teach this in school. They don't teach it in school. And, and 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 none of the sites really walk you through like okay what is your goals what is your intention 
we should suggest this, you know, even, even the robo advisors, I have a client they're a who, little better it, than the, the traditional ones where you kind of have to figure it all out yourself, but yeah, they're a totally little better, true. but, but they're still flawed because they rely on your user inputs. And if your user inputs are flawed and it's not really, I would never blame the user, but if you don't answer the questions properly in the way they're trying to guide you, then you're going to end up in the wrong place. So I have a client who's at Betterment and Betterment's fine. You know, we have clients there, but she, she was, she had two goals accounts. One was saving for a house. One was saving for retirement. And we pull up her portfolios and they both have a 90, 10 asset allocation. And I'm like, for why saving are they for a house? That's, that, that's it's a like big red three flag. years away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it should be like 10, 90, not 90, 10. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Eric. Right. Like, so, he, but she didn't know that. Right. She, and, and I'm looking at this and I'm like, whoa, what is happening here? And, and it was just the way she filled out her questionnaire. I guess things she was fine with risk or whatever, but her time horizon and may, I don't know how they asked her the questions, but anyway, I was like, this is the wrong ass allocation for this goal. And, you know, and she saw she had huge swings in that account. And I said, you don't need huge swings in your account when you're about to buy a home in a few years. So, so we had to fix that. The other thing was she was invested in a regular IRA. And I said, why aren't you invested in a Roth IRA? And she, her income level was to the point where she wasn't getting a tax break for investing in the IRA. And she, you know, get she the young benefit enough to have the time horizon to really get the benefit of that Roth IRA. Yeah. And I said, why aren't you in a Roth IRA? She's like, I don't know. That's just, they didn't ask me, you know, which IRA to select. There was, And I said, well, we need to change this. So a lot of people don't know, know the difference between pre, what, what does pre-tax mean versus after-tax mean? Yeah. And why does it matter? Right. That's, and why, do, that why keeps does me, uh, That keeps me employed as a uh, freelance finance writer. <laughs> I can yeah. tell you how many times I've said, here's what pre-tax means. Here's what post-tax means. But it's so important yeah. for everyone. It is so important. In this, if you live in this country, it's it's part of your money, whether you want it yeah. to be or not. It's like, And it uh, has so like much taxes. of an impact. You, um, you can't claim ignorance on your taxes and not file them. You'll go to jail. You should do the same mm-hmm. with your finances. If you claim ignorance, you're only hurting yourself. You know, there's, yeah. there's no one. You know, again, I was lucky to have you know, my grandpa was a college business school professor. So I had you know a lot of financial <laughs> education growing up from my, I think it was my eighth or 10th birthday. He gave me a general ledger book. So I could nice. start writing down my uh, <laughs> my income and expenses. Your bank account, so yeah. um, there, I didn't even have a big. I mean, I had a savings account that I wouldn't have had any way to figure out how to access. Um, you know, I was a kid, but he said, "Anytime you get money, write it down here and add it. And anytime you spend yeah. money, write it here." Um, yeah. But you know, most people don't have that in schools. I think we, you know, our whole education system that we're really doing a disservice to everyone that you can graduate high school without knowing how to balance a checkbook, which you don't really even have to do anymore. But you know, that basic idea of money going in, money going out, what's a budget? Mm-hmm. What's an interest rate? What's an APR? An IRA versus a Roth IRA? What's a retirement account? That kind of stuff should be... It should I gotta be tell you what, Eric, I feel like home economics is, is a, a must. And you know, well, people used to make fun of that. on the economics part, not the home Right. Part. Well, no, I think they need to focus on both, right? Because the number we see, the number two, number one expenses for most people in the country is where they live. Their mortgage, their rent, that's number one on their budget. Number two, and sometimes number one, unfortunately, is food. And food expenses is the number one area we see for improvement. Now, and, and student loans could be pretty high, too. Yeah. 
But, but where you live and where and your your you know your fixed payments that's fixed. Sometimes there's some flexibility, but how you eat is very flexible. And totally. and so I think people need to learn how to eat, how to prepare foods, how to how to eat healthily on a budget. I think I think both parts of home economics need to be a factor. I mean, you know, I feel like I'm working with clients who are 40 years old, and I'm trying to encourage them and teach them how to cook. You know, because they'll T- save. Take your lunch to work. It costs two bucks. Yeah. Go buy lunch. It costs twelve. Yeah. yeah. Depending on where you yeah. live, you know, maybe yeah. six bucks, maybe ten bucks, maybe twelve bucks. If you're if you're lucky enough to live in New York, maybe twenty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or or no San joke. Francisco. Seriously. But you know, Seriously. you can save eighteen dollars on your lunch by bringing it five days mm-hmm. a week or even if you switch to like two or three days a week yeah and do that over time and it's like um you know that like there's a lot of the first finance book that i read like personal finance book that really stuck with me was the million the automatic millionaire by david bach mm-hmm. and they talked yeah. about the latte factor you know there's a lot yep. of debate you know like there's kind of different camps in personal finance like the earn more mm-hmm. versus budget camp and you know the yeah. budget camp makes fun of the latte factor is like come on it's like four bucks it adds up to like, you know, whatever a month, like no big deal, yeah. just go make more. And and that's, I'm totally believe in that you should be able to go afford your coffee if that's something you really value. But you also have to look at what you're going to give up to afford that coffee. And yeah. that could be, maybe I start taking my lunch and that means I can go do coffee. Or maybe I cut the coffee and start taking my lunch and that means I can take a trip to Europe. Well, let me tell you why I like the latte factor. And it's not necessarily because lattes are going to make people poor. It's that I have never seen and I've been working with clients, you know, in the, the, the nitty gritty of their money for, for over four years now. And clients who focus on the details. So the, the cost of a latte, they never F up the big picture. So if you're going to be focused down to the details of how your money is leaving, you know, where your money's going. They're gonna. They're looking at the big picture too, and so that's why I like to. It's not necessarily like uh, don't buy the latte, but have perspective on what the latte means to your monthly budget. And you know, I always tell people I'm not gonna. I, I don't want to tell anybody no. I, I'm like my clients think when I give them their plan or their budget that that I'm you know taking the punch bowl away from the party. And I was like. I'm the person usually bringing the punch bowl. Like I do want to have fun. I want you to have fun. You work hard, but I want you to have what you want in life. And one of the big questions we ask our clients at the end of their first session is what's important to you? Like what's, what is important? And I'll tell you what, never think about that. Yeah, they don't. It's weird. It's weird or interesting when we ask people, they have to pause and like some people know right away and some people have to pause and say, Hmm, what is important to me? And, and we always keep track of that with our clients. And so when we do their quarterly reviews, I just had this with a woman, you know, a few a few days ago. She was she didn't hit all of her goals for her review, and we we're talking about how she could improve. And I said, "You said what's important to you is paying down your debt, and you know, what, and being more responsible with your money." And I forget the third thing she said. I said, "You never told me shopping was important to you." And meanwhile, so she had a number of you know, retail store charges. And I said, you, and she was like, you're right. And I was like, is shopping important to you? Because I don't have it on your important list. If it's important to you, then I want to make sure you accomplish that goal. But if it's not, then we need to figure out how we stop doing that because it's taking you away from your goal of paying down your debt because the $200 that could have gone to pay down your debt went to TJ Maxx. And I love TJ Maxx. I mean, I was like, I'm a Maxinista too, but that's <laughs> like, that wasn't important to her. And she was like, oh, okay. And 
And that's what we try to do with our clients. Like I've had clients who say coffee is important. And so when I'm looking at their numbers, because we have we see everything. Our systems like mint.com, mm-hmm. our clients put their credit card, debit card, everything, and we see it all. So I know where they're going. And so if a client tells me that coffee is important to them, and I see a lot of charges at Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, or whatever, I'm not going to give them crap for it because they told me coffee was important to them. But I am going to give them, you know, give them beef if it's, you know, money going wherever to shopping or to those new Jimmy out Choo shoes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely the Jimmy Choo shoes. I, I don't on, like I pick on Jimmy ones. Choo shoes a lot because I was uh, a few years ago. I went to, uh, I took a really fun trip. I travel hacked it. So it was super crazy cheap um, to London, mm-hmm. Paris, and Amsterdam. And in London, awesome. I, wa- I was walking around Harrods because, you know, that's what you do in London. You go to Harrods. And um, I walked into the, sh- the women's shoes. I was with a friend, uh, a girl who was, wanted to check it out. And I picked mm-hmm. up a pair of really, you know, I guess I'd say cute looking shoes because that, I don't know. I have like no knowledge of women's shoes. Like I, yeah. I hardly know the difference between a flat and a heel. <laughs> I picked out this <laughs> pair and I looked at the bottom. It was like 12,000 pounds. It's like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Like, yes. Like that costs more than my car. Yes, I know. Pay that for shoes. <laughs> I know, and they don't bat an eye, and it's it's ridiculous. Oh. I mean, we have clients here like that. I have a client who spent three hundred dollars on. She's she's in the fashion world, so and she's like that's her her thing. But she spent three hundred dollars on it was a purse or something like that, and I was like, okay, what happened here? And she was like, well, it was originally fifteen hundred dollars, so. You know, it was a paid real... me one thousand two hundred dollars to take this purse off the shelf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was a, a deal. I just, I just couldn't let, let you know let go of. And I was like, okay, well, you're three hundred dollars poor. Like that shouldn't, you know, it doesn't matter that you saved twelve hundred. It's like you didn't have the three hundred to spend on this. So that's like it wasn't sixty part of Starbucks thing. visits. Yeah, more than sixty yeah. Starbucks visits. <laughs> yeah. So no, I'm not a big fan of the retail stuff. I actually not a fan of retail in general. Most, uh, I'll tell you, most of our clients don't have shopping and clothing as, as what's important to them. So that's number one. So they're not thinking about it. And all it is is just stuff. And it's just stuff totally. that's like going to clutter much, everything. I, I pretty much wear H&M t-shirts every day until they cost like $5. So I don't care if yeah. they you know fall apart. And yeah. I like I wear hoodies because I'm I, where I live, my building's kind of chilly. I'm kind of near the beach, which is nice, but it means we get beach winds. So it can be cold mm-hmm. even on a hot day. So I'm pretty much mm-hmm. in jeans and a hoodie every day. So I'll like get a nice hoodie. Um, I have a few American apparel hoodies. But other than that, I don't need to go spend a bunch of money on clothes. Yeah. Like, what do I need? Right. And let me tell you what, most people don't either. And that's what we have to like hit home with with our clients, you know, because it just they just don't think, you know, or it's like it's they're not nobody's holding them accountable. But once we get on board and we start seeing it, then I'm, I'm better believe I'm going to hold you accountable. So when um, I was, and- uh, yeah, back in my bank days, I remember a couple times that this happened where someone came in livid about overdraft fees, which, you know, I get you know, overdraft mm-hmm. fees are a lot that banks make mm-hmm. you know, billions of dollars from people not watching their bank account balances when they spend money. Um, yeah. Somebody came in and they had like six overdraft fees and I was the manager. So I, I was the guy who could say, okay, we'll waive them or not. And mm-hmm. I sat down and I was looking at their account and they had gone to the casino about an hour out of town the night or the weekend before. Uh-huh. I went to the ATM three times and the liquor store twice and the cigarette yep. store three times. And like none of the spending that they did that caused those overdrafts benefited their life really in any tangible way beyond I had a fun weekend. And yeah. 
the cost of that was not just, you know, all the all the cash they threw away on, you know, put it all on black or whatever you do at the casino. I'm not, I'll be in Vegas mm-hmm. in, a, in a week, so you know, I'll probably spend, you know, maybe yeah, figure four, it out. maybe forty dollars at the blackjack tables about where my uh, queasiness limit hits. Um, mm-hmm. So, but um, <laughs> like, c- come on, like you, you, and I wasn't allowed to give them financial advice. So it was I was a banker, yep. not a financial advisor, so I had to yep. bite my tongue. But like people, like think about where your money's going and, and what yeah. you value. Like to me. Um, I, I got my pilot license last year. I wanted to learn how to fly planes. It's a really expensive hobby. And I spent um, about $7,000 going through and getting my license and everything. And since then, I have not flown that much because I've been trying to budget. And it costs mm-hmm. you know, $100 to $200 an hour to be up in the air. So that's mm-hmm. something that even though it's something I really value and enjoy, I've cut back on just because it's so expensive. Um, but you know, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to save somewhere to do that again in the future. That That's the kind of yeah. mentality. You got to make choices. You, you got to make choices. I, uh, all of our clients get with their financial plans, get a playlist because just like you have a workout playlist, we give you your financial journey playlist and <laughs> the number one song on everyone's playlist is you can't always get what you want by the Rolling Stones. And you know, it's like, because it, it's just true. You can't get what you want, but you can you get what you need. Hard. You might just yeah. you'll get what you need. You get what you need. And that and that's what we're trying to do is help our clients get what they need. And the problem is, is with most people is that you can rationalize every single purchase. I need this. Like I need it. I, I need to, I had a client recently, she needed to buy new panties because she was going away with a new boyfriend for the weekend. And meanwhile, she has like a bunch of credit card debt and some other challenges. And I said, you don't need new panties. Okay. You want new panties. You want new panties. And I was like, and by the way, he doesn't even care to see you in the panties. So you don't even need to <laughs> like go panties less than like a while and, and save, um, the, save the $15 or $20 yeah, and save the money but I could tell yeah she was still so fixated on the panties thing I was like okay I see I can tell you're fixated on the panty thing and she's it was like her first time coming to the gym so I wasn't gonna go crazy on her I was like I'll give you a budget how much do you need for the panties you know like let's be reasonable about what we said but you know I, I, I say that all the time clients will just rationalize everything well I need to eat organic I'm like okay well you also that's fine then eat organic but don't go you know shopping to wherever or don't be going don't to go the paycheck and spend your whole yeah. paycheck <laughs> you can get, get organic at trader joe's like you you can get creative at other places so a fun, you know, fun little fact i you know, as as podcasters uh, i listen to a lot of other podcasts i listen to there's this really fun podcast called science versus uh, it's mm-hmm. by the people who do startups that like Gimlet is the company. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and they had an episode is organic food really worth it. And mm-hmm. they like really looked at the science and it was very neutral. Um, they, they it were, is. Like they say, like there's no real harm in GMOs. They don't really hurt you. There's no science that shows that if you want to avoid them, go for it. But you're not really going to help yourself much. You're just going to spend more. And the same well, with and organic. And I got to tell you what, there's got to be some. I'm not trying yeah, to rip on the organic world. With, like, I think or- fertilizer. Yeah, like my we have we do a lot of organic stuff here. We go to Trader Joe's a lot. My wife um really likes, you know, clean, organic, whole food type eating. But you know, think about, you know, if you're even like get down to like the purchase level, like berries. Like I've read about like what foods for organic foods are worth the yeah. money and what aren't. Like berries, like strawberries that are porous, maybe go organic because they could hold pesticide, but blueberries, they just rinse off. You know, uh so yeah. don't spend the money there. Like think like things like that. Uh, about being practical I know. around it. Think and and put some thought into it instead of just blindly putting stuff into your shopping cart 
and you know your money going down the drain. So yeah, we keep yeah, no, so you, people for us, rationalize everything. Yeah, we we have um, for because of my religious beliefs, we have a kosher kitchen at home. So when we go out shopping, a lot of the things we buy at the grocery store cost more because we can only get things that have a kosher label and that's particular kosher. with meat and cheese. Yep. I mean, thank, thank you for Trader thank Joe's. They're expensive. Trader Joe's makes it a lot less expensive, but you know, I was talking with my mom about getting a brisket for a Passover. It's coming up in April and um, you know, a kosher full brisket. It's like a hundred dollars. She's like, Eric, you're not getting brisket. Sorry. I love yeah. you, but I don't like oh, I remember brisket. <laughs> Yeah, I remember looking at we were going to have Thanksgiving friends over that were kosher and we were looking at a kosher turkey and I was like, "Whoa, yeah, how do like, people do?" Yeah. I it was need, like I don't eat much turkey. 5 times more. That's, yeah. That's the answer. For, I don't eat, but that's that's that decision I made. You know, I say I'll pay more for meat and cheese and other things, but I eat way mm-hmm. less meat because of that. And I'm yeah. okay with that. That's something that I decided, you know, I'm willing to pay more per purchase and make fewer purchases. And yeah. it all comes out financially in the wash. But if I just said I wanted to keep kosher and buy more expensive food and not look at the budget, I mean, you could see how it would be easy to spend, you know, You could do that. More. It's easy. And they make yeah, it really easy. easy. The grocery store makes it easy to spend your money. Everybody makes it easy to spend money, Eric. I, saw, I just said this yesterday. We had Reuters in the gym and I said, there's no reason why any of us should be good with our money because... Literally billions of dollars a year are spent on making us bad with it or not bad with it, but spending it like between marketing, between technology with one clip, click purchases and well, I could just uh, do it with my same voice. day delivery. I could, I, uh, I could walk into the other room and say, you know, Alexa, order this and right. charges my card. Doesn't even have to yep. click anything anymore. I could go say, yeah. you know, my phone's probably going to ding when I say this. I could say, okay, Google activate Domino's and a pizza will show up in a half hour. You know, it's yep. like, it's crazy. But also... You know, as a business owner and an entrepreneur, you know, switching our conversation around, your job yeah. is to make it as easy for people to give you money as possible. So mm-hmm. it's kind of that catch twenty two. There is you you want to earn money and succeed, like I've done with my with my writing, and you're doing with your blog and your podcast and your gym. It's um, we want to make it easy for us to make money, but as yeah. a as a consumer, be be thoughtful about those purchases. Yeah, well, you know, the way I justify it too, it's like ninety percent of our clients here are successful, so. You know, I want to make us that's a, that's earn a good rate. That's an A in, in yeah. schools. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the overachiever in me hates that it's the 10% fail rate. But the 10% fail rate are, is honestly the people who give up, you know, because they just, they're not into it because they don't want to be told what they have to do and or don't want to do the hard work because well, it su- is hard. Yeah. To succeed in anything. I, I was a nail biter. I, I can say was, and I'm really proud about that. I was a mm-hmm. nail biter for 31 years and like, I just couldn't. No matter what I said or what anyone said to me or what I thought, even if I like cut down, like like if you've ever bit your nails, sometimes you can like catch an edge and like bleed and be painful. Like I just couldn't stop biting my nails until one day I was like, you know what? It doesn't benefit my life. It just hurts my life. I'm done. And mentally yeah. I made that shift and maybe I bit my nails like twice since then, but I clipped my nails with a nail clipper this morning. It was that mental shift of I had to commit and say, I'm not biting anymore to kill that mm-hmm. habit. And with money habits, you know, they, they develop really quickly. It's easy to get oh. into the habit of a daily, you know, every other day going to Chipotle or yeah, every day going to going Starbucks, Starbucks every day. Yeah, whatever the your, knows your name. Yeah, yeah. it's it is hard. It, it, that's what we do here. And I, I tell people, I tell clients all the time, I said, you're going to get a plan. And in three months, when you sit down for your quarterly review, half of our clients are going to be hitting their goal and half aren't. And they're like, what? Like, 
that doesn't sound like a good track record. I said, it's because, you know, it takes time for some people to change the behaviors. And, and I say we have a 90% success rate, but some people, it takes the full year, a full year to like really figure out how they're going to make all of it work. And, and for some people, they just need the plan and they're off to the races. Some people need a lot of, you know, analysis, research, like work, making more money, pushing themselves to make more money making smarter choices. It, it takes a while. It's not an overnight process. And it's nothing so, any of us are born with. It's something we have no. to learn and practice yep. and, and build those habits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so thank yeah. you so much. This was a really fun and interesting discussion. It went a little different direction than I was thinking in my head. I was thinking we we're going to talk more about entrepreneurship, but you know, personal profitability is personal finance too. So I'm thrilled <laughs> that we, uh, we talked about <laughs> investing and budgeting and spending. It's all great stuff and, and very useful. So um, if someone wants Every to connect with you, should know about that too. Oh, totally. Do not start a business if you don't have your personal finances. If you don't have it together, yeah, you won't be able to see yourself. It's like um, if you watch on you know on Wall Street, you know, mergers and acquisitions news. When a really successful company buys another company, usually it turns out pretty well. But if mm-hmm. two failing companies merge, you're just going to have a really big failing company. And, yes. Um, the same goes with your finances. If you have your stuff in order. Go out, start that business, start to make more. But you know, you have to get your own personal finances in order. Otherwise, how would you expect that you would succeed in that business? If you, how would you run business finances successfully? Yeah, so it's, exactly. They're they're very related. Exactly. So if uh, so, people want to learn more. If they want to talk to you, if they want to connect with you, if if they think that you are the bee's knees, where should they go to find out more? Yeah, they should go to financialgym.net and find out more about what we're doing here at the Financial Gym. We have. A location in New York. We're expanding to other locations this year and around the country in the next few years. But we also work virtually too. So if you're not in New York, and uh, you can find us on Twitter at Financial Gym and at on Instagram at the Financial Gym. And uh, my podcast is called Martinis and Your Money: Living a Better Life One Cocktail at a Time, and that's on iTunes and Stitcher. Awesome. And I, and I highly recommend that. That's a really fun podcast to uh, to check yeah. out. So if you like this, you'll definitely like that because it's um, similar, but a little more, uh, well, martinis in your money. So a lot a few, more drinking. A few more cocktails. A lot more drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, Shannon, for, for being a part of it and joining us today. Thank you, listeners, for sticking around till the end. As always, if you enjoyed the show and you enjoy what you hear, please drop a rating on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, if you didn't like it, you know, shoot me an email, eric at personalprofitability.com. Let me know what you want to learn about so I can make sure to feature that in an upcoming episode. And um, if you if you liked it also, you know, tell a friend about it. You just click that share button. It's really, really easy. Twitter, Facebook, text, email. There's so many ways to share things now. It's it's kind of ridiculous. But whatever place you share things, please do take a moment because that's the only advertising I have. And obviously, I don't charge anything to listen. So um, that would be a really nice way to pay back uh, if, if you liked it to uh, share it with a friend. So again, thank you, Shannon. Thank you, listeners. I'm glad you're able to stick around till the end. And until next time, stay profitable. Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes or share it with a friend.